0: Hey there! This is The Lowdown, a podcast about the crazy smart people that make Columbia, Columbia. I'm your host, Acacia O'Connor. So when I was sitting down to write an introduction to this episode, I wanted to create a good news-related reason to introduce you to Dr. Irwin Redliner, something that would explain just who he is. But I had a problem. There are too many things. On paper, Redlener is director of the National Center for Disaster Preparedness at the Earth Institute. He's also a professor of health policy and management. Oh, and he's a professor of pediatrics at Columbia University Irving Medical Center. But he works on so many of the big issues. Hurricanes, refugees, access to health care, access to education, racial justice, nuclear attacks, mass shooting, terrorism... Red works in a massively interdisciplinary way, in the Columbia way. Because I'm not gonna say it's only a Columbia thing, but it's definitely a Columbia thing.
1: My career is really uh, idiosyncratic. I mean, I'm very uh, sensitive to serendipity. I've taken chances.
0: So, Red wrote a book to make sense of his long career in medicine, public health, and social justice activism. Redliner's stories are definitely off the beaten path, and so is his story. The story about his life and his career. That's the story we're going to tell today.
1: Hello. Hi. Okay. Yeah. Hi, Erwin, nice please have a seat any place in here. Mm-hmm.
0: When Erwin Redliner was a young doctor, he was convinced that in his lifetime he'd see an end to child poverty.
1: You know, I'm coming out of the Kennedy-Johnson era of activism and anything's possible. You know, know, send a man to the moon in nine years or ten years. It was impossible for me to think that that would not happen.
0: We're in Red Letter's headquarters on 125th Street in Harlem. This maze-like sprawl of cubicles is home to two of his biggest projects. One is the Children's Health Fund, which he founded with Paul Simon in 1987. The other is the National Center for Disaster Preparedness at Columbia's Earth Institute. Over the past 40 years, Redliner has been at the crossroads of poverty, race, disease, and disaster preparedness. Now he's written a book about the breadth and depth of his experience and the social justice drive that motivates him. It's called The Future of Us.
1: I thought there needed to be a way of telling that kind of story that was not... Geared towards policymakers necessarily, or people writing their theses in, in a way, but towards all people that were just interested in the future of the country and the dynamic that happens for people that are living in severe adversity, and how important it is for those children and for the country to uh, be able to see a much different kind of future.
0: Brad Lerner's office is filled with bric-a-brac from his long career. On a bookshelf next to the window is a statue. I point to it. And this dinosaur.
1: That's the paleontologist's reminder when I was you know, writing the book. I had William on my mind the whole time. So William is a 10-year-old who I met in the early 90s uh, on one of the Children's Health Fund's mobile clinics. Anyway, in early 90s, uh, I'm on the mobile as a pediatrician, and we go to one of our regular sites, which is a terrible uh, foster facility for children who are homeless. And this 10-year-old uh, scrawny kid in sort of beat-up clothes comes on, and I, and I go to see him. And I, uh, before examining him, sort of always, you know, would talk to kids, and I ask them the usual, uh, you know, conversation starter, what do you want to be when you grow up?
0: The boy said a paleontologist. He wanted to work with dinosaurs. Red Leonard was taken aback by this.
1: And I'm staring at him. It was so incongruous uh, what he was saying with the conditions that he was living in. So I say, how, did you, how do you know about that? And he takes out an old, yellowed uh, newspaper clip from the New York Times that had been printed a year ago. Somebody had given it to him. So he kept this in his shirt pocket every day, all day, as his kind of emotional anchor to the possibility of getting out of the situation he was in. I'm sure he didn't know the, much about the details, but this was his dream on a piece of paper that was in his pocket.
0: A few years ago, many years after meeting William, Redliner was talking to a friend about their 10-year-old son. That son also wanted to be a paleontologist, but his circumstances couldn't be more different from William's.
1: He got many, many books on the dinosaurs from his parents taken to the museum multiple times to see this. And the capper was, since they could do it, they researched where was the most famous American paleontologist working and somewhere out west, they they called the guy, arranged the meeting and flew their their child out to Arizona to meet with this uh world famous paleontologist spent three hours with the kid. So basically all this kid had to do was, you know, do well in school and if he still wanted to be a paleontologist when he was eighteen, the doors are open. And the contrast with William, who had no doors, no less doors that are open, was very, very striking to me, and in a way it tells the whole tale yeah. of what we're, what I'm trying to accomplish in my work.
0: The Future of Us is part policy, part memoir. In it, Redliner looks back on his life and the people and stories he's collected
1: over the years. My career is really uh, idiosyncratic. I, I mean, I'm very... Uh, sensitive to serendipity. I've taken chances. I've done, you know, not, you know, I I ended up putting in the book the memoir experiences that were just unusual. They were either interesting or funny or whatever, uh, off the beaten path. And I wanted to kind of put those someplace.
0: Some of these stories are pretty incredible, like the one about him having dinner with Fidel Castro or bringing the singer Joan Baez down to Arkansas only to be met by members of the Ku Klux Klan having Michael Jackson weep in front of him. He tells me that story. Jackson and Redliner were both on the board for a charity, USA for Africa. The year was 1985, and the group was raising money for people affected by the famine in Ethiopia. Remember that We Are the World song?
1: The We Are The World song was written by Michael Jackson and Lionel Richie. It was really quite a moving song and it sold a lot. They needed some medical personnel on their board of directors to determine where the money was going to go. They raised about $60 million from the record, which is a lot of money in 1985. Still a lot of money.
0: The follow-up to We Are The World was Hands Across America, a national fundraiser held the following year. But for that song, they turned to a commercial jingle
1: writer and didn't ask Jackson to do it. Uh, when Michael Jackson found out about that, he came to the board meeting and he was so distressed. And he said things like, "You know, when I wrote with Lionel Richie, uh, We Are the World,' it was the voice of God coming through my fingers. I wasn't even in control of it. You know, it was like that kind of he tears are streaming down his face."
0: Oh my God!
1: My hair—just even thinking about it, it was like—and I, I can't draw anything. And I, I didn't have camera, but I was trying to sketch him to see crying so i remember yeah so i can remember this but it was incredible
0: these remarkable stories punctuate what has been a long career of taking care of children redlener works from the top down and the bottom up he admits it it can be frustrating to work on such massive global issues day after day the change is slow and incremental staying connected to patients on a daily basis is the antidote
1: this one so, the sign says, no whining. And
0: <laughs> Is for, that for you or for your no, no, guests? For
1: visitors, I must say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah I, I don't tend to be a whiner. I, you know.
0: If he's resistant to some complaints, it's because he's seen a lot worth complaining about. Let's take it back. Redliner got his start as a social justice advocate working in public health in Lee County, Arkansas. He was a 27-year-old new doctor, about to become a pediatric cardiologist. Then... He saw this poster.
1: This poster here, which was the recruitment poster for this program in Lee County, Arkansas. Well, no, I'm sorry, the bottom one.
0: So you saw this. This was the poster you saw, this and you were
1: the like, "Poster." to actually, took it off the bulletin board in 1971, and I was walking there. It was like April, and I saw this poster. I said, oh my God! I got, I have to see this. I have to go there. And the the poster says, you know. Lee County, 74% of the population below poverty, 64% black. And, uh, and then the tagline for Vista was, if you're not part of the solution, you're part of the problem. It was the last thing I wanted to be, part of the problem.
0: It was at the height of the civil rights movement. Almost as soon as he arrived, Redliner noticed some major hurdles to providing medical care.
1: I would go on house calls every night after the clinic. And the people in remote parts of the county, extremely poor, mostly African-Americans... In the rainy season, the fall, in Arkansas, uh, the dirt roads leading to clusters of houses occupied by poor black families uh, would get incredibly muddy and basically impassable. So when I looked into it, so how does a road get to be either graveled or paved? It was the county executive's job. And unpaved dirt roads
0: leading to the homes of poor African-Americans wasn't the county's top priority.
1: And this was a problem, it, and uh, I started actually getting involved in this because, and i and, and getting involved by, uh, among other things, like doing, uh, you know, preaching in these very tiny, rural uh, black churches, mostly Baptist. Uh, and you know, I was not exactly in my element. I was, you know born as you know a Jewish kid in Brooklyn, and so there but but <laughs>
0: but you were preaching, you I mean like in a, was, you, you were was in, in the preaching. church I was in the at the lectern
1: yeah at the right at what 's it called the pulpit the pulpit the pulpit, the pulpit. The pulpit yeah yeah you were at, the pulpit. at the pulpit
0: after he left Arkansas, the people in the
1: county voted out the power structure, and things improved, he says so that was an early experience which really reinforced my functioning on the level of a, a social activist and doctor.
0: Now, as director of the Center for Disaster Preparedness at Columbia, he's focused on the big picture. His mission is both about preparing for the worst and helping people recover from it. Shortly before we met, Red Liner appeared on Jimmy Kimmel Live!
1: With an expert, Dr. Erwin Redliner, he's the director of the National Center for Disaster Preparedness at Columbia University.
0: From a table at Dave and Buster's restaurant in downtown Los Angeles, he gave Jimmy tips about preparing for a nuclear blast. Yeah,
1: yeah, it used to be that people were worried during those years that the United States and the Soviet Union, both having tens of thousands of nuclear weapons, would start a war in minutes that could basically wipe out, you know, everybody on the planet. So not want that. No, no one wants that. The reason I did this, I'm really concerned that people have a very big misconception about uh, what would happen in the in the event that we dealt with a uh, nuclear detonation, either from a terrorist or from North Korea or God knows what. But um, yeah. I actually didn't realize
0: either. It seems like Jimmy was surprised. I was surprised to find that outside of the the site of impact, of like four or five miles, you'll, you'll live. Yeah, yeah.
1: But everyone, including some very smart, sophisticated people, think they, you hear, they hear the word nuclear and they feel like uh, we're done and there's no point even planning for it because, you know, uh, there's nothing, there's not, no survival is going to be possible.
0: Even when he's working on meta issues, Red Lener is drawn again and again to one segment of the population, kids. A few weeks ago, he was in a refugee camp in Greece asking kids who had been homeless for half their lives his favorite question, what do you want to be when you grow up?
1: Children are born without prejudice. Uh, They're unencumbered by preconceived notions, and they're ready for anything. And they're perfectly happy saying, I want to be a doctor, a teacher, a basketball player, whatever it is. And then the rest becomes, how easy is it for children to achieve those dreams and for many, many children, millions and millions of children around the world, of course the the uh, realizing of those dreams is impossible so in some ways, experiences at the refugee camps and welfare hotels in Arkansas all amount to basically the same thing: fairness, justice, equitable opportunity for children and that that is the common theme there 's been sidetracks from that where i 've done a lot of other things, but but I think that's the central core of what I, what I do.
0: He points to a picture of the refugee kids that's pinned next to his computer. This is the
1: kid I met in the refugee camp who wants to be a doctor, who hadn't been in school. In the years. one
0: on the left here?
1: The, the taller one. The other one wants to be a teacher. She's never been to school. She's five.
0: So They're smiling.
1: They're smiling. They're resilient for the time being. So.
0: Next to the photo of the children is one of Red Leonard's own grandchildren. His family is a constant reminder to him of the mission that drives him.
1: I look at them. They're incredible children. I know what, what opportunities they have in store. Uh, and I, I can't help myself from thinking about the children that don't. It's like always on my mind. And I, I think literally would like the same kind of opportunity for education, health care, and life possibilities for the kids that we take care of as I do for my own children and grandchildren. What a great world it would be then, you know, if we could figure out how to make progress to getting there.
0: That's it for this episode of The Lowdown, not the down-low, The Lowdown. If you like what you hear, please subscribe. We're on iTunes. For more cool stories like this, go to news.columbia.edu and thelowdown.alumni.columbia.edu. The Lowdown is a collaboration between the Office of Communications and Public Affairs and the Columbia Alumni Association. I'm your host, Acacia O'Connor. See you next time.